Thanks for tuning in to the 168 Podcast, a podcast from Mitchell Knight and Jordan Bird of the Clarence Church of Christ, aimed at helping you connect Sunday worship with everyday life. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the 168 Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Incarnation, and I know Jordan was the one who um, brought this topic forward. Uh, did you want to get us started with some of your thoughts? Sure. Well, in our last episode, we talked about the Incarnation as well, but we talked more about how God's character of humility is revealed in and through the Incarnation and the birth of Jesus and God taking on flesh in the life of Jesus. And today... Uh, we're going to focus more on not just the, the character of God, but like what, how the incarnation affects us. Like what implications does it have for our life beyond just like the morality or the way our life looks now, but what are the internal implications of it? That's a little bit what we're going to talk about. And kind of the simplistic way of asking that or bringing this up is just saying like, why is the incarnation important? Like, why does it matter that we talk about it, that we believe what happened in and through that process? Why is it important that, that Jesus was born? Why do we celebrate it? Like all that is wrapped up in that question. Like, why is the incarnation important? And a secondary question to kind of go along with that is, is it important in the way that some other beliefs that followers of Jesus have are important? So is the incarnation, is that concept, is that belief, that, that reality that, that God took on flesh, is that just as important as the death of Christ or the, the resurrection of Christ? Or is it like a secondary thing from that? Is it on par with, with that? Or is it secondary to that? That's, that's a little bit of what we want to delve into today as well. To kind of get us further into addressing, at least I guess our thoughts on us and, and kind of reflecting on it, I just want to read one passage I think will help set the tone, one passage of scripture that will help set the tone for our discussion. And that's Second Peter 1 verses 3 through 5. And those verses read this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you, meaning you, me, all of us who follow Jesus, may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And verse 5 is, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And I really didn't mean to read verse 5, but I had it pulled up already. So yeah, verse, verses 3 and 4 of Second Peter uh, 1 are really kind of our focus here. And, and really the part to focus on is the idea that God has made it possible in and through Jesus for us, human beings, to participate in God's nature, in divine nature. and that's the like mind blowing statement there that, that we want to focus on because that doesn't happen, at least as far as I understand, if God does not take on human flesh, if there's not a uniting of human reality with divine reality. And that's what we see happen in and through the incarnation 
in and through God taking on flesh in the form of Jesus being born, uh, we see that that reality happen. Uh, how do you? I mean, what, what are your, what's your reaction to, to that? Let's maybe start there, Mitch, and then we can kind of keep going. Yeah, my general thought on the incarnation is that it just sort of bridges the gap between humanity and divinity. I mean, kind of like the scripture says, literally in a way. But I mean, we were talking before we were even recording this in the sense that there's nothing that we could do to raise ourselves to the level of divinity. There's no way we could close the space. It's only from God wanting to do that and bringing us close to him, or in this case, you know, bringing himself literally close to us through the incarnation that he bridges the gap. Um, and then we can get into the other stuff later when it comes to his death and resurrection and stuff like that. But that's just what I take from it is just there's a mending of the gap that existed. There's a drawing near, um, but not from what we do. It's from Jesus being born. It's from God taking on flesh and literally entering into our reality and pulling us in um, that, you know, I think does it. It's nothing that we do. It's the incarnation is almost like it's another example of God's grace in a way and giving us something we don't deserve, which is really his presence alongside us because we probably don't deserve that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the terminology maybe is leery to some of us, um, maybe based on different theological things we've come to believe or whatnot, but just the idea of like participating in the divine nature has this tinge of, you mean I get to participate in being God? And that already just sounds not right to say it that way, right? Because, and, and, and rightly so, because if you go back to, Genesis and look at the Adam and Eve situation that we see as the precursor to our situation of being separated from God. What thing did they pursue? It was being like God. That's the temptation they were presented with. Like, well, you can be like God if you take the fruit and you can have the knowledge and, and all the stuff that, that seems to, to be God's. You, you can have on, of your own. Like, you almost don't need God at all at that point. You can be that. The difference here though is that this isn't like Adam and what, what Peter's talking about isn't a like grasping at taking a hold of the divine nature, which, which Mitch just kind of said. Rather, it's a receiving it because it's being offered and gifted to us. It's something that God is making space for. It's something he's offering to us. It's not something we are controlling or making happen. It's something he's allowing us to then to to have to partake of his life so it is it's a grace it's a gift it's it it is very much all of that that's happening there uh so yeah i think the main difference there is that it's not us controlling it but it's rather us receiving it it's something that the god is initiating and we are responding to and so it's not us calling the shots of, of how god acts rather who god is is and we respond and get to live into the reality of who he is and we get to participate in that and so it's very much maybe an easy way to, to talk about this is the incarnation makes possible or very a very real possibility of true communion with god it's a it's a uniting of humanity to divinity is what we see happening in the incarnation. And so it allows us to, to have the possibility of actually having this true sense of communion with God. And Jesus initiates that process by first making that reality possible of, of human flesh, what God created, taking, 
something that God in and of himself created. It wasn't of him to begin with, if you will. He created it, but then he brings it into his very nature and then in and through that process invites us to also share in that. And we can get into that a little bit more here in a moment. But yeah, what's your reaction to maybe what I just kind of said there? Well, just for my own benefit, maybe the benefit of the audience, you know, the scripture says through these we're able to participate in the divine nature. Like what is the these it's mentioning earlier on in the scripture? Like what does it literally say? Because I've already, it's already kind of left my mind. The verse three you're talking about? Yeah. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Right. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Right. Yeah. So it's all an extension. It's an offer. It's something that he gives us. And living in the resurrection life we do, that's, you know, his divine power is the Holy Spirit that lives in us, you know, bearing fruit. I mean, Jesus in his earthly existence showed, you know, communion with the Spirit who lived inside him as well and demonstrated that holy life for us as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's just there's a lot of mending that happens. Uh, and none of that's possible, you know, without him being born, which is kind of like a duh thing, but it's true. Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately what a lot of the conversation will boil down to. It's like, how is this possible unless God wants to be born in human flesh? Yeah. Probably not, not possible. So. Yeah, which maybe takes us further into the discussion to talk about where does the incarnation fit with death and resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, and how do they, they all maybe interrelate to each other? And I think there's two different, probably prominent ways of looking at this. One is the incarnation matters just as much as Jesus' death and resurrection or anything else Jesus does kind of for that matter. Or the other view is it's important, but it's not that important because, but it's only important because it makes the death and resurrection possible. Like death and resurrection are still like the pinnacle of importance, if you will, from one viewpoint. And, Incarnation is important, but it's not up here. It's just, it's necessary for, for Jesus to be able to die. Like if he's not born and alive, he can't then die. So yet if he's going to do this, he has to do this first. Like it's important in that sense, but it's not like up here in like in a cosmic sense doing something that is radically participating in the salvation that we experience as human beings. And I think we short, um, we, we shorten the value or, or squ squash the value of the incarnation when we put it down here. Because I think what we see in the incarnation is that there is something that's radically happening in what God is doing. He's not just like entering into humanity, but he's entering into humanity to restore it to the fullness of what it's intended to be. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. So we get to see that from, from birth to death and then, you know, into resurrection. Like we see the wholeness of what life is supposed to be a wholeness that was diminished and taken away when Adam and Eve, or when all of us separated ourselves from God, we separated ourselves from, from life itself by separating from God and, and we're subject to death now. And so there's something in our very being that really needs to be healed, if you will, because apart from God, we are, headed toward death. We are wasting away, if you will, in that sense, because we're separated from life itself. 
but in saving us, Christ actually offers us a a new humanity, if you will, and it's the, it's the the humanity of Christ. That's what we get to participate in, and this touches on on resurrection because in resurrection we receive resurrected bodies, which is the new humanity that we get to participate in. It's it's at least what we see in scripture better than the humanity that we experience now. It's not entirely different. Like it's this like unknown experience necessarily. Like I think there's some carryover. It seems pretty obvious, but it's, it's a new humanity. It's, it's the humanity that we see expressed and lived out in the life of Jesus. And so it's very much a, a saving of our entire being, if you will, not just the, the mistakes that we've made or the guilt that we have. It's not just, it's not dealing with just those aspects. It's dealing with the entirety of our life. And we see that in our very being, being, uh, saved because by God taking on flesh and redeeming our humanity as a whole, if you will. Does that make sense? I, yeah. I know, I know we've talked about this before, but it, it can be kind of, I think, convoluted for, um, just all the components kind of going into it, but. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I'm kind of at least part of what I'm getting from what you're saying is that it, it kind of harkens back to something I said at the beginning about you know there's no way that we can pave our pave our own way into heaven. We talked about how this is an extension of God's grace wanting to dwell among us. Um and it's it's a literal like you said a bridging of divinity and humanity. Um and that only happens if Christ wants that to happen by being born, you know, via the incarnation. Well, anyway, I, my own thoughts on it are kind of like, I mean, we've had discussions like this before, even before um, preparing for like this podcast and just that there almost really shouldn't be a hierarchy in terms of these kinds of events. I mean, they're all incredibly important and the incarnation is the start of everything it's you know it's not valuable only because of what it leads to it's valuable in and of itself it's kind of what you're getting at is like you know the incarnation shows that god wants to bridge the gap between divinity and humanity you know jesus's life shows us the template of what it means to live a holy life by his spirit um and how we interact with others how we're in communion with others and with god his death offers us forgiveness of sins and atonement, and his resurrection shows us that there is really hope um, in life after death, that Jesus really did defeat the work of the devil. And then his ascension calls us into ministry or mission. I mean, all four of those things are in credit, or five, because they included his life, right? I can't count. Incarnation, if you count life. Death, resurrection, ascension, yeah. Yeah, five. five, If you count it that way. Yeah. Um, Study the Bible. That's great. You forget how to count. Um, Yeah, so I think all five of those things are each incredibly important, and um, they all offer kind of a different insight into the character of God and, you know, what he's trying to reveal to us. And the incarnation is the pretext for all of that, but it's not only valuable because... It's the pretext for that. Like, Jesus' life is only valuable because it leads to his death. Like, it's not a this-than-that kind of thing. It's all of this is very purposeful, and all of it is connected, but, you know, it doesn't happen without the incarnation. So the incarnation is incredibly important. So in in a way, it's kind of, I'm kind of giving 
both views. It's like it's important because of what ha- what follows it, but it's also incredibly important in itself. It's not just yeah, it's definitely a Boa fan, but it's not it's not a one or the other. Yeah, it's not that. I mean, the other thing this touches on is God taking on flesh redeems our humanity in the sense that it gives it reinterjects if you want to look at it that way purpose and dignity to humanity to 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 life the life that we have because God found it just as important to experience all of it and to identify with us in that way. And I think this touches on some of what we've talked about in some other episodes of if, if it's all just about what happens after we die and, and heaven and afterlife and that kind of stuff, it can very much turn into this sort of eternal life with God is sort of this like disembodied existence or it has nothing to do with the life that God has given us. And yet that's not at all. I think the holistic picture we have in scripture, like just looking at the life of Jesus, when he resurrects, he's not just this like disembodied being that shows up to the, his disciples. He's an embodied person because we see the, the humanity of, of Jesus, but it's the humanity of Jesus united to the life of God. And it's, it's that newness of humanity. I mean, it's not new for him. It's, it's always been, but it's that sort of type of humanity we are invited into and following after and having ourselves united to, to his life. I mean, that's partly what happens and when we die and are resurrected and we participate in that in baptism and in that kind of all playing out. I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's all spiritually done, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show that there's some, there's value to, to life in itself. And I think what you see in the incarnation, in, in, in Jesus being born and in his life and, you know, death, resurrection, the whole thing is there's meaning to, to life and there's a wholeness to life that, that God, um, is redeeming from the sin and the separation that, that we've experienced and, and point ourselves away from, from him, from life itself. We, we experience life, but we experience it to the, to the fullest extent, but only in and through, through him and him being united to, to, you know, taking on flesh into his life. And then we get pulled up kind of into his life and then through that process. And obviously there's like our willing participation in that. Like if we want to receive the benefits of it, we have to engage and interact with it. But none of that happens if this doesn't happen, at least as it plays out in scripture, it seems that way. Right. You have any other thoughts kind of related to this? If if you have any. Yeah. I mean, again, like kind of what I got from what you said, it was, like the bull fan type of thing. It's it's not just important because it's the foundation for everything that happens, but you know, it's also not just important because of the stuff we mentioned prior. It's it's everything. I mean I think it kind of gets to the tendency of human beings to want to extract out of Jesus what they want and what they want to think about and what they want to get out of it. But really it's, you know, the birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension. It's the whole person of Jesus that is really important and Jesus was born that's I mean that's what's incredible about it is that he wanted to be with us maybe a comical if you want to look at that way way of seeing the reverse side of this is you could just as easily elevate the incarnation above the others true and saying that like well you know humanity is redeemed by by God taking on flesh sort of the that Ricky Bobby and Tal- is it Talaga Digga Nights and oh, the baby Jesus, ba- sweet, you know, yeah. sweet baby Jesus praying to sweet baby Jesus. I mean, 
I, I get the, the comedy there to some degree, although it's also sort of mocking at the same time, but, but just that, the tone of that, um, that movie scene in that movie is elevating the, the incarnation. I mean, they're, they're not going into the explicit nature of, of all that's happening there, but it's elevating that as if like the, the life, death and resurrection and, and ascension, like and none of that is important. Like it's just, you know, I like this, this part of Jesus life, but I'm not willing to sort of recognize or look at the others. But the, the whole point is that, God coming and taking on flesh came to redeem the wholeness of our life. So, right. you know, everything that happens within it and you get to see that in the, in the breath of his life. And I think it's, it's probably fitting that we talk about like following the, you know, having a life like Jesus. Like it, we went the entirety of it, not just like this part or this part or this part or sort of picking and choosing, but like it's following him in the wholeness of, of his life, which is ultimately the life of God that we then are pulled into and are able to participate in. Anyway, that just kind of stood out to me thinking about that, that clip for a moment, but all right. Now on to the 168 debate. Yeah, Jordan's going to introduce it. So you've so, already, probably already seen the graphic explode onto the screen. Uh, you have the correct, the, you have the questions written down, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, Jordan's taking over right now. All right. So going with the seasonal, flavor here is that the right way of saying it probably not but peppermint mocha (laughs) not that kind our questions have are seasonal if you will so okay first question is this is it okay to incorporate santa into christmas as a christian um, so I, I, well, as you know, I have, uh, well, cause this, this question was originally framed like based on like, you know, teaching your kids, right. Or yeah, your family. That's kind of where it initiated from. Yeah. So yeah, um, I was going to say I have a lot of experience in raising children, so I'm going to have some really amazing depth of insight into this topic, but I, I would say it's okay. It's okay to incorporate Santa into the Christmas equation, but it's not okay to kind of, you know, in our way like what culture does it's like turning it into an idol it's like don't put it above the the actual meaning i mean there's always a way to tether santa or saint nick into the story of jesus and jesus's birth and then his life death resurrection and ascension it's like the spirit of giving or you know hospitality and kindness is not going to exist outside of you know the overflow of joy that comes from christ redeeming humanity and I think that's ultimately the message that needs to be preached. So if like, if it's Santa's spotlight and Jesus is completely taken out of it, then it's a problem. But I, I mean, you obviously don't want to overdo it, but I mean, I mean, I think your kids are going to hear about Santa like all the time anyways. So I don't think you're necessarily, no matter which way you, you decide, I mean, if you have hesitancies, it's like, they're going to hear about it at some point, so you shouldn't feel bad about making it about Jesus, but also having this little fun thing on the side that Santa does because of Jesus. I don't know. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think overall I would probably agree with, with your assessment. I think at minimum you need to, if you're going to have it be like an okay thing and you're not going to go on this like cultural war battle to like, have it just be like totally erased from your family's like 
Christmas experience, if you will. I mean, unless you're going to do that, like I think at the least you need to try to include the historical uh, component of where that whole lore comes from, if you will. I mean, there's a whole lot that's been sort of just piled on and added to. And a lot of people don't know it. What Santa is, but like the St. Nicholas part, like the actual person who was, um, in history who went about trying to bless other people and, um, giving gifts, that, that kind of thing, like that part of the tradition is super meaningful, especially because of where it flows out of. It flows out of who Nicholas was trying to follow after. Jesus. So, exactly. I mean, there, there is some connection there, but that always has to be sort of, I mean, the, what we know is like the commercialized Santa has to always sort of be, I mean, it's, it's kind of gone far from that to some degree. Like there's some of those components, like the gift giving and, um, even fr- from some of what I know, even the whole presence down the chimney thing is actually part of that. Um, it just was gold and not stuff that could melt and fire and stuff like that. But as far as I've understood it, um, I, I probably need to read a little bit more about it, but, um, but either way, there's like a real historic, you know, person who sort of set a precedent in that way. And I think that's fine to follow after we're following in his footsteps of him trying to follow Christ. As Paul says, we are to follow him as he followed Christ. Like that's it's exactly, kind of in the same yeah. vein, if you will. Um, but yeah, I think just, at, at the least, like with kids, like just be honest about it. Like I think you can, like there's some fun you can have with it, but then also be honest about it. Like this is pretend. Like that's what we try to do with our kids, which is like we've kind of been intentional about trying to tell them this is pretend, like a character in a movie or something like that. Like he's not a real, real person. Like he's not actually coming. You know, like he doesn't bring your stuff. That kind of stuff. But yet they've still picked up from the cultural elements like this. Well, but it seems like he, you know, like that's how it's told in every other story. Like they've, without us trying to convince them, like they've, you know, somewhat have bought into that idea. And like, so we're trying to help them understand the more fuller picture of it. But, um, but then there's like stuff that, I mean, just gets added on. Like I was watching some show with my kids the other day and, you know, the reindeer weren't there for some reason and, or couldn't fly or whatever. So the, this one show has to do with trains. And so Santa's got to deliver his presents. Well, they get these trains that are going to like get the presents, but it can't be on tracks because they got all go all around the world. So he, Santa pulls out this like magic dust and blows it on these trains. Like there's already this whole other thing. That's not even with most other elements of the story that we usually have. And I'm like, so you just added on a whole nother element there, which I get, they're trying to tell a story and incorporate elements from a different show. But um, I mean, just there is like the, oh, so you mean Santa has this like magic dust? That's how all this happened? Like, you know, that's no. So, yeah, I mean, I think on one hand it's okay, but I think it's mostly it's just like, can you know, be honest about it and try to help kids navigate the, the reality of that. I'm, I'm usually more impressed with kids who somehow still believe that Santa's a real person. Spoiler alert, parents, if your kids are listening, maybe. <laughs> I already passed that, I guess, but, um, okay. I'll put a disclaimer in there. <laughs> Don't worry. Probably when I, like, I post it, I'll say, you know, there's Santa talking here. So. <laughs> anyway, but I was going to say something else there, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Yeah. I think at, at the, oh, I, I'm always amazed that, you know, kids who still believe that Santa's real and like they're way older than I would think that. And I'm like, how have you not how have from your friends alone have you not like figured that out? 
And so that, that's always amazing to me. Like, or they're just totally playing along and never want to like give up that they like, you know, have caught on. That might yeah. be part of it too. I don't know. I but. think I was either sixth or seventh grade. Like to me, that's pretty impressive. Like, like that's that old. Long. I think that's old for like not like how, you it never out. encountered that from anyone like that. Well, I mean, or it's just like the like believing in God kind of thing. Well, other people do, but I'm just not sure. I'm convinced of it. Yeah, it was actually kind of <laughs> kind of the latter, but I I didn't really get to. I mean, because even if people don't like really believe in the fact, like in the in the secular world, if they kids like in the same age group I was in, even if they didn't believe in it, they were still kind of going along with the cultural aspects of it, anyways. Like, oh yeah, Santa stuff. So they weren't like no one was like going on a crusade like. Real. Like I never got that, but I was. You're just not like, the real Santa. He's. But I, I just like I like I. It's just it's not something I when I decide to sit down like for like two minutes and give it like some real critical thought. I was like, Mom, there's no way this is possible. <laughs> and she's like, Yeah, good job. <laughs> and I was like, Well, there it is. So yeah, you just don't get much of the. That's unreal. You're stupid if you believe that. You will get that if you believe in Jesus, though, so watch out. I know I have. All right, let's move to our second question here. Does Christmas feel like Christmas if there isn't snow? And do lights imitating his icicles count? What was the weather in Bethlehem? <laughs> that I mean, this is even if, like... When Jesus was born actually even happens in December and I'm not sure exactly. what the climate even is. And- I mean, isn't, isn't the, um, like the church history of the holidays, like there was a bunch of like pagan celebrations going on at the time and we wanted, you know, we wanted a celebration of our own yeah, to po- focus yeah, post, on. So like- we had to like pick a day. We're not saying that he was born, he was born on December 20th. Like, I don't think anyone says that, but. So, the, I mean, to my point, it's like, yeah, Chris, I mean, for me, from the Christian perspective, Christmas feels like Christmas, even if I'm in, like, Honolulu at the time. Like, I don't care. If anything, I think it's preferable. I mean, I don't know about um, the people watching this, but the people that know me know that, I mean, my thermostat's at 77 right now. I'm happy to be warm. I don't like the cold. You know, I don't need, I don't need, a, the white Christmas song is really good, but I, I don't need a white Christmas. <laughs> I just need Christmas. Jesus was born. Nothing can change that. Yeah, I, there is a nostalgia for me that, like, there's an anticipation. Like, I'll even look at, like, I've already done it. I've already looked at the, like, extended forecast. I mean, this was, like, even weeks ago of, like, is it even looking like it might snow on Christmas? Like, there is a, I mean, and, and this is the very, like, I mean, growing up in the northern part of the United States, the, you know, this, I mean, that's where a lot of that association of, like, white you know snow and white and christmas i mean probably even in europe too but like in december it happens to snow I mean, so it just became associated with it but yeah like if you're in the southern hemisphere somewhere warm or whatever like where it's not snowing this time of year like yeah like you don't associate it with it but but for where we you know live and like the regionalness of of where we live in the climate and whatnot like i have come to associate those themes with this time of the year and there is like even if it's like more leading up to it, like, I don't know, it just seems to fit like the lights, all the stuff that again has no super deep meaning, but it does like, it fits the sea, like see, it seems seasonal to have snow and like, I don't know if it's like raining or if it's like 60, like it was a few years ago, it seems like, or I mean, it just it seems like 
it's the wrong, it doesn't seem like it's in the right time of the year. Like it doesn't seem like it's Christmas because it just doesn't fit where we live yeah. like, climate wise or whatever. But I agree with you. Like ultimately, like I don't have to have it, but it does add to the nostalgia of, of it for yeah. sure. It's, it's an additive. And I don't know. I think it fits, like I said, I think it fits with the lights and all that kind of stuff, but. Yeah, it does reflect. I mean, white reflect, uh, white reflects all light. I mean, it's very reflective. It looks very pretty, but you have Christmas lights. It's just not fun to shovel. So yeah, that's my take. All right. Our third question. What thing do you have to have included in your Christmas celebration each year? Like, is there a particular tradition or, element or thing you do like not that it's like of ultimate importance but like if you can like christmas is christmas because that's part of it like ultimately it's not like i mean jesus is ultimately the most important part but like is there a thing like your family does or you've come to do or something like that that you include uh well on christmas eve uh for a few hours we're usually together with uh, my aunt and her two daughters um, that's something we do. I mean, as far as like Christmas traditions, stockings are always something that we do. I mean, that, that's kind of like what you're getting into. It's a very visual additive. Oh yeah, also frosted Christmas cookies, pretty good. Like I, I mean, yeah, I mean they're they're frosted like and soft enough. Like they're not crunchy. They're kind of like that that pasty, soft, doughy, more doughy than crunchy christmas cookies so those are like my three things yeah this answer has kind of been changing i think i mean i think anytime someone gets married and you start like creating your own traditions as a family like i mean some of like i guess you could say the growing pains of any marriage is like what things do you discontinue that you did with your biological family that you know you grew up with and then, like, what things do you continue with the family you start with your spouse and with your kids and that kind of stuff? And so, like, some of the elements transition and then some of them morph and then you create new ones. And so that I feel like that's kind of been my experience the last few years is just, like, our own traditions have become more solidified in, in a sense. Um, but I think the one thing that, to me, doesn't, f- like, it, it feels... I don't know. It, it just ha- like, I feel like I have to have it there is like the candlelight part of Christmas Eve. Like, I don't know. There's like a special, f- I'm not usually the feely kind of person, but like, I don't know. Like that to me is like, like to me, that's almost like the, the, oh yeah, that's what this, like we're celebrating. I don't know. The light, yeah. the, like, there's just like a, I don't know. Like you don't have that. Like it's not every Sunday. It's not all the time of the year. Like it's a special kind of thing we do then and there. Um, I mean, that's just because we don't, you know, do the, the lights, bells, and smells, and that kind of stuff of, you know, more liturgical traditions. But, um, but I think, I mean, that's just like something I look forward to. Like, it's a short moment. Like, it's not even super long. Like, we sing Silent Night and light the candles. But like, I don't know. Like, that's the thing I think I would fight for. Like, being included in. Like, I, like I would do it at home. I think if I didn't go do it at church or something. Like, it just seems like it's important to do or whatever. And, uh, so that's, that's like one thing. One thing my, um, my family growing up, we used to do was we, I don't remember how exactly we started. I know my sister and I kind of urged to keep doing it and we kind of try to do it over distance sometimes, but we did cheers to Jesus, like fill a glass and cheers and drink. Like, 
I don't know. It's been a fun thing that we've done that's like has like meaning to it, but at the same time, it's like kind of been our own thing that we did. And, and every time the water turned into wine. Yeah, not the, <laughs> but I think the thing for our family, like my immediate family that has become something we've come to do is start where we've moved to where like Christmas day is like our family does that. Like we've moved to where like we don't go to family as much on that day. The last few years we haven't at least. And like that's, we've, you know, created our own sort of tradition of like, you know, the kids waking up, doing the presents and then like the dinner and sitting around like or watch a movie or whatever, maybe going to look at Christmas lights on Christmas day, I think has been something we've done the last few years. Like those have been fun things that, that we've come to do that, um, have become the things we do that have become tradition, if you will. So I don't know. Any other things you can think of before we close out? I'd add the candle, you know, the the silent night candle thing to me as well. I It's always weird because I've only been doing like Christmas Eve, Eve services for, you know, like five years as opposed to the other 21 where I wasn't. So for some reason, it always just slips in my mind. But yeah, Christmas Eve service is definitely a part of it now. I think the some of the songs too are like I don't know. We were talking about this the other day. I, I think it was you and me talking about how like I like I'm I'm the older millennial where I like still like the the hymns at this time. Like I'm okay if you want to like modernize a hymn to some degree with like you know guitar drums or whatever that kind of thing. But like once you start changing like an old tune to have like newer lyrics in between, I don't know. It's just I'm the fuddy duddy who's like just leave it how it's. And so, like, I don't know, I do have some nostalgia for, like, those, like, more, I don't know, I hate to say traditional because it's, like, traditional is whatever was before your time kind of a thing. But that could be any time. But, yeah, those those Christmas hymns, like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, like, that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I like, you know, the Jingle Bells and, like, the more secular kind of stuff, too. But I do really like and cherish, I think, those Christian songs that get even sung kind of broadly at this time of the year. Like they're still known, even though we live in a more secularized culture than maybe in previous decades. But um, that's something I still kind of like, and, and it's one of those, like, you know, if you sing it before whatever time, like it's, it's odd, but like, it's like, Oh, but for this season, like I get, you know, like I can really sort of get into those songs. And I think that's, that's cool too. And important, but Thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was encouraging to you and helped you reflect further and deeper on uh, the meaning and importance of God taking on flesh in the incarnation and Jesus uh, being born. So thanks for joining. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.